Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The My Baby and Me podcast in association with Nook. Hi, this is Jane Garvey and welcome back to another My Baby and Me podcast. Now, this is a podcast by parents for parents. We've been there, we've done it. We've got lots and lots of stained garments waiting at home to really be tackled. Uh, We're here to share advice, anecdotes and, let's be honest, the mistakes we made in the hope that maybe you won't make the same ones. You'll probably make different ones. Unlike your mother-in-law, we are not here to tell you that there are things that have to be done in a very particular way. We hope we'll convince you that the best way is your way, as long as you and the baby and the child and the toddler and everybody else is happy. Now, on today's episode, we're discussing two of the three main pillars of early parenthood. They are crying and sleep. The third one is poo, which we're not going to focus on in too much detail today, but you know what I mean. I don't really need to tell you all that much about it. With me in the studio, I've got Beverly Turner, who is one of the Daily Telegraph's Wonder Women columnists, mum of three, and the founder of the Blooming Bunch antenatal course. Also here, Katie Thompson, who's deputy manager of a nursery in North London. It's called Coconuts. Yeah, uh, that's right. Did you think of that name? No, I didn't. It was no. thought up a long, long time ago. All right, well, I can't get you for it then, can I? No. Um, you also are help to run Cat's Whiskers Theatre and what you do, kids' parties. Yeah, yeah. Kids, kids' entertainment parties uh, and we write musicals and shows for children that we perform in nurseries and schools and that sort of thing. So you spend pretty much seven days a week immersed in the world of small people. I do. And you like it. I love it, thankfully. No, you do seem, you seem to radiate joy in your existence, so good luck to you. And Ian McIntosh is here, um, owner of the deepest voice in the studio, it says here, although I take issue with that. Um, a broadcaster, football writer, amongst other things, and the proud father of a three-year-old. Yes, yeah. yes. Survivor of a three-year-old might be a more accurate way of putting it. OK, now, I, I gather you've just had the house to yourself for how I many have. nights? I the <laughs> just as the Ryder Cup began, oh. the girls went away for uh, three nights. Who planned that? Well, they did, and and I had to do the whole the whole build up without grinning. So it was kind of trying to force my mouth down. Like, You're going away for the entire duration of the Ryder Cup, are you, darling? <laughs> oh no, well, that wasn't a laugh. That kind of thing. So you got the house to yourself. Oh, it's amazing. Well, did you have a party? Did you get some no, do you know what I did? I, I actually had quite a bit of work to do. I'll say that just in case my wife's listening. When the work was done, I ordered a pizza, I opened a bottle of wine, I downloaded the director's cut of Alien, and I just sat there on my own in the sofa. I actually stayed there for seven hours. There was a perfect imprint of myself <laughs> on the sofa when I got up. It was magical. It probably is true what you've just said as well. Which it that, really is. Yeah, that's actually quite depressing. OK, everyone laughs about life after babies and mentions the lack of sleep be completely honest how has it been for you in terms of sleep deprivation and I should say how, how has it been for your partner as well the first three months were like traveling through a very very powerful storm with fog and high waves and roiling seas it was um, it, it was kind of intense and you never really knew when it was going to finish because it didn't finish because there was never any period where it all calmed down but when you come through it and you have a system at the end of it then everything's kind of all right. 
It yeah. never really, you never really get back what you once had. But. To listen to that, you could be describing the the invasion of a of a far off a far off foreign land. Um, you're actually talking here in a, a very small human being about yes. a tiny little thing <laughs> yeah. that just needs to get some shut eye. Uh, why is it so complicated? Um, they, yeah. Teaching a baby how to sleep is kind of like teaching a cat how to do anything. Um, babies don't really listen initially. They just do what they want. And you're in, in your position as a first parent especially, you're absolutely terrified of doing anything wrong. So you pretty much put them in charge and they are awake when they're awake and they're asleep when they're asleep. Later on, you realise that that's probably the wrong way to do it. But in, in your first case, that's, that's pretty much where you are. Beverly, three kids, so mm. you are an absolute expert, surely. I've been sleep deprived for 11 years, basically. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I, I remember with the first one, having this amazing realisation how many women were walking around the streets feeling like they were in some sort of torture. Like, there's a reason why people use sleep deprivation as a form of torture because it plays with your mind, everything can look bleak, it's hard to be happy about anything when you lack of sleep. Um, and I, I remember getting sort of t- about 12 weeks and everybody else's baby was sleeping through the night except mine. You know, that but they awful... were lying, weren't they? Well, I think they were lying because then they'd say, oh, well, yes, well, I do feed him at five, but that's still slept through the night. And I thought, 5am, that is the middle of the night that still is to me. That, that will yeah. always be the middle of the night. Um, and it's, I suppose... You get to a state where you're sort of used to it. So by the time number three came along, I was very good at that point of saying, right, when she sleeps, I am going to sleep. And I just sort of luxuriated in that a bit more. I kind of felt like I had the permission to do that. But I felt guilty all the time if I did that with numbers one and two. Do you think anybody was really honest with you before you had your first child about how you were going to feel? No. Not at all. And that's a big part of what we do on the course. It, it, rather than We don't want to scare women of what it's going to be like, but you do need to know. Having said that, I think people can look you in the eye, mothers, and they can tell you how hard it's, hard it's going to be. But you really don't get it until you're there, until it's 3am and the baby is still crying and your face is all scrunched up with utter fatigue and you're not sure where the light switch is and you just want to cry with the, the need to just have uninterrupted sleep. You can't really picture it until you're in it. What, what did you do on the very first night at home with your very first child? Wow, that feels like a long time ago. Um, what did I do? Oh, I know what I did. My mother had him. What do you mean she had him? My mother had him in her room on the first night we got back from the birth centre. And she is amazing. She's a bit unusual like that. But because I'd been awake for 24 hours having had him, when we got back to my mum said, well, I'll have him and I'll bring him to you if he needs feeding in the night, which was incredible. And that's such an amazing thing to do. That's a lovely thing, actually. So she had him in the spare room, just yeah. said, you know, it's day one, you've been up for 24 hours, get some sleep and I'll bring him to you if he needs feeding, which she did. OK, Ian, did, did you and your partner try and attempt a routine with your daughter? Um, we, we did. We gave it a try. We, we gave it a good go, um, the, the Gina technique, and uh, I put her down in the cot and she cried and I walked away and she cried and I walked downstairs and she continued to cry and I really thought that the sound of those tears would, would trouble me, but it turned out I couldn't really hear them from the pub. That's appalling. <laughs> Just in case anyone doesn't know about Gina Ford, uh, and actually a lot of people won't really completely get it, Beverly, um, it's, it's what exactly? A schedule, a, a timetable you've got to stick to? Well, Gina Ford is an American maternity nurse who hasn't had kids of her own. She wrote a book called The Contented Little Baby Book, which has sold millions of copies across the world. It's made her a very, very wealthy woman. And it's incredibly prescriptive, and it will say, get up at seven, have a piece of toast feed baby, lie baby down. And, it, and it's a, a, a sort of hour by hour 
a dictation, dictate really of what you do with your day. Um, some women, a, I think there's a particular personality type. If you like to be in control of your life, especially professional women who've come out of maybe high powered job, in my experiences, those women love it. They absolutely love that that regime and that routine. It can be very restrictive. So, for instance, she suggests that the babies always sleep in blackout, blind rooms, pitch black. You can't. So that means you can't then go for a coffee in the day and your baby will nap. Like it ties you to the house largely. Well, I mean, you do get people turning down invitations to come around because they can't, doesn't fit in with, with which the is nuts. schedule. Which is nuts. <laughs> and I think actually what, what we've created, and I'm almost seeing them now at 10 years old, are the children who were, were raised like that 10 years ago who are utterly inflexible and are going to be the adults with OCD <laughs> who can't do anything spontaneously because they've had this rigid upbringing. But, she, but Gina Ford sort of famously subscribes to the idea of controlled crying which I think is what you were talking about so you can leave them in the cot and they will cry and that's fine the the other side of the pole is is the sort of attachment parenting so you have the attachment parents who would never leave their children to cry because the idea is that crying is your child's way of communicating that they're not not happy um, we need to nail this one really if a child is crying isn't it better to pick them up and comfort them I don't think so. You don't. I, no, I don't, because I think your happiness is, or your sanity is also important. I think. But I, I'd also heard the theory that the more they're comforted, the less they will end up crying. Possibly, but if you think about your day-to-day existence when you have a newborn baby, often a baby. I think one of the big mistakes is to think that every time a baby cries, they're hungry. Often they're tired. But crying, a baby crying is very tired, and so sometimes. You need to check, are they dry? Are they fed? Are they warm? Are they safe in their cot? Leave them to cry. Go make a cup of tea. By the time you've come back, I bet they're asleep. Ian? I think the answer's somewhere in the middle. Um, I think there's a lot to be said for for Beverly's view, um, that if you just run at them every time they burst into mm. tears, then they're going to understand that. They're, they're, that's how we learn. We learn on repetition. So if every time they need anything at all, they cry and you come, then they'll just keep doing that. Um, but at the same time, I, I was only joking about the pub earlier. I lasted 10 we minutes and cracked like an egg. <laughs> um, but I think, I think some form of routine is always important, as long as it fits into your routine. And that goes again exactly. with what you were saying. You you have to make it work for you and you have to, to a certain extent, be in charge. So we used to, um, we had a system which, which was kind of helped by the fact that I work from home and my wife doesn't. So we'd go and pick up my wife, um, me and my little girl, and then we'd go home and there'd be tea time, bath time, story time, bottle time, and then sleep time. And it didn't immediately work. In fact, it only sporadically worked for about six months. But we're now in a position where my daughter's three and she's pretty much like a yeah. switch at 7pm. Um, she's she's down and out. That's very um, true. I totally so agree. I think if there's any bit of the routine that you want to take... So I ultimately, when my child wasn't sleeping at 12 weeks, I did tap, sort of dip into Gina Ford and took little bits of what yeah. she said. Make it so work that was. Mm. And, and giving the child those sort of those those cues that it's now we have a bath and then, like you say, we have a story and then you put yourself to sleep because that's one of the things that babies have to learn is to put themselves to sleep so you're not constantly doing it. Um, and the other the sort of the opposition maybe to Gina Ford is a, a brilliant book called The Baby whisperer by the late tracy hark who sadly died but she was incredible and she's written this amazing book which is all about picking up on your baby's cue so how a sleepy cry is different to a hungry cry is different to a cuddle cry that's 
that's one of my kind of top tips for books. You can't afford, Katie, at Coconuts Nursery to be <laughs> trying to analyse what sort of cry is coming out of every one of your of your toddlers in, in the afternoon. I mean, they all have a nap. Do they all? What age group will have a nap in the afternoon? The well, nursery? all the little ones will have a nap, so up to two usually, and then after that, it depends when they want to drop their nap. Really, so some are still napping when they're four. <laughs> now, I bet there are issues, aren't there, with parents who probably don't like their kids having a nap at nursery because I bet that keeps them up later at night, doesn't it? Well, sometimes it does but then you have to do a bit of sort of trial and error maybe try and reduce their nap a little bit or try and make it a bit earlier and then sometimes you might have an occasion whereby a parent really wants the nap to be dropped but then the child just falls asleep (laughs) at the tea table (laughs) with their face in the soup so that doesn't uh, work either does it yeah exactly so how do you get the atmosphere at the nursery to allow the kids to nap I mean, because there's noise, there's clutter everywhere, there's always something going on. How can they sleep? Yeah, well, it's all about really initially the settling in process. So when parents bring their babies to nursery. And how young might they be? They might be a year, 10 months. Okay, yeah. Um, The parent needs to really show to that baby that they intrinsically trust the staff there much like they would with a grandparent or an auntie and uncle, that sort of thing. So then the baby's totally relaxed and secure with the staff there. Would you try and make sure it was the same staff or the same couple of staff with each child every day? Yeah, you try to. So we we have a key person system, so each child has a key worker um, who's allocated them to settle them in and that sort of thing. But if the key person isn't there, we like them. We like the babies to feel comfortable with everybody there. Um, and then it's all about getting to know the child. So during the settling in process, we ask the parents how they go to sleep. Do they like to be patted, rocked? Do you just leave them? That sort of thing. And then it's down to the staff getting to know the children, really, all of them individually and how they go to sleep. And then, of course, if you're lucky enough to come to a good nursery like ours, we have quiet sectioned off sleep rooms and it's organised quite well. So we'll have one room for the youngest babies and it's got cots and we make it as much as we can like homes there's mobiles hanging and that sort of thing and then other rooms for children who can sleep in bright brighter lights other children who have to sleep in the dark other children who can sleep in crazy noise i don't know how (laughs) but they do but they do yeah and so it's that's how we do it basically and you know harking back to the idea that beverly was talking about the the disrupted sleep and the, the child that's had a bad time I'm not sure whether you did say this actually I'm just trying to think can you actually tell Katie whether a child has slept well the night before or not because I, I mean it seems to me that sometimes the parents bear the brunt of a child sleepless night and the kid itself just carries on <laughs> quite adaptable not so bothered um... Again, it completely depends on the child, completely. I mean, a lot of the time, if a child has had a bad night's sleep, mum or dad will come in looking quite harassed. Yeah. And the first thing they'll tell you is, he hasn't slept, he's been up since three (laughs) o'clock running around in the living room, so please make sure he has a longer sleep or something like that. So most of the time, you know, we want that stuff communicated to us. But what? how much is the right length of sleep for a child, a preschool child? It depends on on the child completely. They say it's got to be like 13 hours or something like that for a one-year-old. But some children will sleep for three hours in the afternoon when they're two and a half. Some children will be one years old and drop their nap completely. So they're they're all unique. At Nook, we believe our job is to make your life easier. For over 60 years, we've been listening to midwives, doctors, dentists, and most importantly, parents... Only by listening have we been able to deliver a range of products that is specifically designed to satisfy the needs of mother and baby in those precious early years. 
To find out more about the full range of Nook products, visit our website at www.nook.co.uk. Nook. Understanding life. I think the thing really interests me is, Beverly, the fact that actually a lot of people, particularly if they're having children older in their 30s, mm. you know, they've been used to being in control of everything, yeah. ruling the roost, having loads of kit, great nights out. And all of a sudden, actually, you've got to accept you can't pretend that life's going to be the same because it absolutely isn't going to be it the isn't. same. And this, I think the shock of the first one is just quite something. It took me years to get over the shock of the first one and get around to having number two. What's the gap? Uh Five, five and a half years between one and two, and then I had another one quite quickly yeah. afterwards. But I think, um, you know, that you, it is difficult. And I think, like you say, the older we get, the more we're into our routines, the more we appreciate our freedoms, or we, we take our, our freedom for granted. Never even think and, about it. and when we suddenly have to appreciate it when you have a child, and you think, what did I do with my time? Like, am I, you know, my day is so truncated because you've got, you're so busy at the start of the day and you're so busy at the end of the day. If you're a stay at home mum, you're busy all flipping day, 24 hours a day. You know, there is, there is no break. Um, you know, and I, and I think it's, it's something that, in a way, we, it's, it's only going to get worse, I think, as we kind of evolve. As, as a species, are we, we're so far removed from kids being around and, and from real suffering, and from that's, yeah, that's the <laughs> and truth. from real suffering. You're yeah. dead right, absolutely. We have we have it very easy until we have a child. Babies have got to sleep on their backs, haven't they? That Beverly, there's now an understanding that they really, really should. Yes, I think the nice guidelines are now, aren't they, in terms of, of baby wellness is, is that they should sleep on their backs. And of course, so many people go out and buy, you know, the elaborate cot set with the cot bumper. And and, and then you realise they shouldn't use a bumper because it makes the bed too hot. And, um, you know, I don't th- baby, newborn babies don't need an awful lot. They need, I mean, I'm a fan of swaddling as well. I, I think babies what have What does been, that mean? That- so uh, obviously the baby's been squashed up inside for, you know, 40 weeks like that and 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 when they come out they can be quite shaky and they have this moro reflex which is quite terrifying if you've never seen it they shake and shake and shake because they're not used to the space no. it's that simple isn't it yeah. Yeah. yeah and and um you know and of course we would often i guess you know as cave people we would have carried our babies with us and they would have been probably you know with us all the time and now that we don't do that um i think a lot of babies can feel quite comforted and reassured if you swaddle them so you lie them on a big you know a big muslin and wrap them tightly 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 fairly tightly would somebody i mean actually i think it did happen to me somebody at the maternity hospital showed me how to do that um ian you made that that very poor gag about going to the pub but i want to know about more more sensibly now about the sleeping arrangements did your partner actually go to another room with your daughter or did she did all three of you get through the night together or try to what happened no we we had a family solidarity we all we all took the hits we all slept in the same room for about three months and then we sort of gradually started moving the cot away from the bed to the door it was like a kind of stop animation where does she sleep now the frame. M6 yeah. <laughs> we left her up north she seemed happy um, and then uh, just one day we moved her into her own room um, and of course that sets you back because you have to sort of start but, uh, your routine again a lot of again. dads do just decide they better you know they'd be better off in the spare room and actually in some ways as well partners can justify that by saying well in fairness you know he's, he's, got, he's driving a bus tomorrow and that's an important yeah. job so actually he can't lose sleep oh, absolutely my, my brother-in-law um, he's, he's just uh, had his first daughter and he works in the theatre and he's up on ropes moving heavy yeah. lamps into position so his argument is that he needs a sleeper he might accidentally kill himself I work on a laptop and it's very difficult to come
come up with any kind of mortal peril for you. that you can accidentally slamming my head <laughs> repeatedly in uh, the laptop. What do you think about that, Beverly? Though uh, th- some people I know would say it's a cop out for the man to disappear, but you can always make a case for it too. I think, I think you can because I think it's all about survival, mm. as, as Ian said you know, earlier. It's, it's about surviving, and actually, if you're working as a couple and both of you are exhausted, that's not good for anybody. I think with first babies, why not divide and conquer a little bit? Um, I think when you have uh, subsequent children like we have now, James is very good. My husband's very good at getting up first thing in the morning. He will get up at six whether the children are up or not, which is just ludicrous as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) So I will then, if I've had a broken night, he will get up at six with the children and I can have an extra hour and he'll bring me a cup Ah, of tea at seven. Okay, that's lovely. But you have hinted that he might not get up in the night now. Does he simply not hear what's going on in the night? Um... No, it's not that. I think it is just that terrible old-fashioned assumption that my I sleep close to the door and if they snuffle and make a cough, I, I will be the one getting up and doing it. Well, your kids are older, but babies do make a lot of noise at night. Um, Very. They're snorty, snuffly things, Completely. Yeah. I don't know how you could sleep with a newborn baby in your room for that long. I mean, yeah. I then, think... But you also have the flip side that if they don't make any noise, then you wake up because they're not making yeah, any noise you're and you're just terrified. peering over. Yeah, yeah. Very <laughs> just like that all night long, perched yeah. over them. But do you think it? Well, I mean, it sounds a bit. It's a bit naff. But is it bonding to do those three month, those early months together? Then yeah, it's. We didn't set out for it to be bonding, though. I think that's probably what it did. I mean, I always say we're very lucky, me and my wife, because of me working freelance, that we had so much flexibility, um, and so that we were able to do things like that. Um, and I think we'll probably do the same thing again. Um, but key for us as well was making sure that my daughter was as comfortable um, with me as she was with with her mum, because a lot of my friends who's uh, where, where the dads are working all the time, they don't have that bond built up. So if you get six months down the line and your wife wants to go out for a drink or something, then the dad's at home without the faintest idea of what to do. Crying. Um, I mean, my eldest daughter is nearly 15, but if I hear a newborn baby crying, it it goes, it can cut through me like a knife through the heart. I don't think we can underestimate actually and I'm not being depressing how terrifying yes, that can be it is the the responsibility I know just falls on you like a lead weight and you can you just your ears just prick up when you hear it across yeah. a park or a cafe don't you you know that newborn baby scream and like you say my blood slightly runs cold although <laughs> then followed by an overwhelming sense of relief that it's not mine <laughs> yeah, <who> is that it's <laughs> yeah. the upside like, it's her yeah. problem um but it is scary because they you know that they, they cry with such passion and there's such force and there's a reason because if they hadn't we wouldn't have evolved as a species so they have to draw our attention to the fact that they need feeding but i think also it's got to be um it's got to be said that sometimes when you've had enough of that it isn't a bad thing to put the baby in a safe place, make sure she or he is absolutely fine and go downstairs or, totally. or go, go for a shower or something. Completely. That no baby ever cried, no baby ever died from crying. No. You know, that's worth pointing out is that, you know, of course, if, if you have a baby that is crying all of the time and they have other symptoms and they're listless or they're hot or like there's a medical condition, you know, we, I'm not saying we should ignore babies crying, but I do think that women can be very hard on themselves and and to think that they have to stop a baby every time it cries. They don't. Um, And I completely agree. I'm a big fan of the baby sleeping in the garden. I'm a bit 1970s like that. So like the morning nap, as long as you have a little garden space that maybe isn't on the main road. um, (laughs) This is not in January, is it? Yes. Even then? I would. I absolutely would. My son was born in September, the end of September, and October, November, December, January he would have his morning nap in the garden, wrapped up in one of those big fluffy suits with the hat 
hat and and just like literally just his nose and his eyes and his mouth would be visible and he slept like a dream. Is he available for interview? I'd like to <laughs> get, his, get his take and on it. And, you know, no central heating, so none of the dust mites that are causing asthmas and, you know, it's really healthy for babies to sleep outside. Almost evangelical on the subject. Oh, um, I am. Um, Katie, that noise at the, I mean, Coconuts Nursery... I mean, presumably, are you just totally immune to all of it now? I don't think you can ever be immune to the sound of a baby crying or the sight of a baby crying. I mean, you must have like six or seven said. on the go at once. Sometimes Some, more. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you become immune to the noise level. <laughs> right. Um, I think we work in a noise level that most people would find unbearable a lot of the time. But um, we can certainly never ignore a child crying. No. Or a child that's upset. Anyone who does that in my nursery should probably... Get a different job. Yeah, I mean, no, nobody. I mean, everybody likes a cuddle, and there isn't anything wrong with picking up a crying child and saying, you know, well, let's try and make it better. Yeah, yeah. Well, as your daughter gets ever closer to that door, Ian, I mean, has she ever gone through the door and established her own sleeping quarters? She is <laughs> yeah, now three. But, but we, um, we, we had our, our whole pattern that preceded bedtime. Um, with the meal time and the bath time, and that kind of created the routine all the way to the songs we'd sing her before bedtime, um, and then that would hopefully make a drift off. So when it actually came to the move to put her in her own room, pretty much everything that she was aware of was exactly the same. It was only if she'd managed to get to her feet, which would have been alarming at that age, um, that she would have seen she was in a completely different room. Has she now uh, become aware of the fact that she can get out of where she's sleeping and get back in with you? Yeah, about one, two in the morning, every morning, I think, for the past <laughs> oh, 18 you, months. There we are, you've worked yeah. wonders. No, that, that's, one of the, that's one of the reasons she hasn't got a little brother or sister. <laughs> <laughs> she knows what she's doing. Yeah. Wise girl. What about that, Beverly? Um, first of all, sleeping in the same bed as a really young baby. Um, what do you think? Well, I think, again, there's just been a bit of research recently to say that it is perfectly safe to sleep to co-sleep with your baby Unless, as long as you are not a smoker you are not drunk it helps if you're not taking the drugs either. yes all of those can you know it um so sleeping on the sofa with your baby is much more dangerous in terms of the statistics that that's you know has it can be much worse um but i had i think most women are still a fan of the moses basket next to the bed most couples um and and i had my first in the moses basket when i realized after a few days just how noisy new babies are with the snuffling and the farting and all sorts of strange little noises that they make all night even if they're fine they're just noisy mm. um and i moved him into the room next door and the midwife gave me a brilliant tip which was because i was still breastfeeding he was wanted you know the smell and the comfort of of me and so i just put one of my pajama tops as his blanket around him underneath the, the where he was sleeping in the moses basket and it really helped mm. that's a really good idea it's a brilliant that's, idea that's quite safe isn't it you don't, perfectly want, you don't safe. want the buttons or anything near him but no but perfectly safe i just lay it as sort of underneath him and and he could just smell me i guess and and it was comforting for him yeah, I, I did try white noise from a radio, um, but that didn't work, so I don't know why I'm bothering to say that. <laughs> uh, I know some people say it does work. So um, getting back into bed as toddlers, have they done that too? Yes, and you see, my husband is a soft touch for that and he thinks it's lovely and I think it's horrific. So <laughs> if one of them comes in, if our three-year-old will come in in the night and I just go, oh, and I will pick her up, not talk to her, keep it quiet and try and put her back in her own bed and or James will say, oh, put her in here. So what I'll do is I'll put her in with him and then I go and sleep in the spare room. <laughs> I think we've got the measure of Beverly's slightly brutal parenting <laughs> style. <laughs> Sleeping outside in January, no getting into bed. Now, she's, I'm sure she's a soft touch, really. I'm not. Um, 
My thanks to all my guests today, Beverly Turner, Ian McIntosh and Katie Thompson. And you can find Ian and Bev on Twitter. Have a search for at Ian McIntosh. Ian is I... A-I-N and at Beverly Turner. If you need an entertainer for your children's party and I do advise you not to try to do it yourself you are an amateur, I've been found out and it wasn't pretty, go to catswhiskerstheatre.co.uk and cats here is spelt with a K. Now if you like what you've heard be sure to tell all your friends and your fellow mums-to-be and share the podcast as well on Facebook if you can. And we'd love it as well if you can find two minutes to leave a review for us on iTunes. I'm Jane Garvey, Uh, thank you very much for listening and we'll talk again soon. You've been listening to the My Baby and Me podcast in association with Nook. Visit us at nook.co.uk. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.